Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 59 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at hydrogen and its role in transport. Explosive disaster in waiting, or a fuel with genuine potential? We'll see. Before we started, I wanted to remind listeners of what I asked at this point in last week's episode. Would any of you be open to supporting me if I opened a Patreon account? I'm starting to spend quite a bit of time putting together the podcast, the transcripts, the Redux episodes, and the newsletter, and there are, of course, costs associated with each of these things. If I was to open a Patreon account, would there be anyone out there who might consider chipping in a little bit of money each month to help cover these costs? Let me know by Twitter or direct message if you think this might be something you would consider, and thanks to everyone who's already responded. Our main topic of discussion today is hydrogen. We talked briefly about hydrogen back in episode 17, where we made it clear that we thought hydrogen-powered cars are not the best use of this fuel. But today I want to go into a little bit more detail about why, and about the use of hydrogen as a renewable energy source. Let me start by saying I'm coming at this from an agnostic point of view. I can see the benefits of hydrogen as a renewable energy source. I can also see the potential issues with it in terms of energy consumption and safety. So let's get started. Hydrogen is a very, very abundant element on Earth. It makes up two-thirds of the water that covers the majority of the face of the planet. When burnt, it combines with oxygen in the air and produces only water as a byproduct. If you're looking at hydrogen as a fuel for your car or your truck, the refueling process is very similar to that of fossil fuels. You pump it into your tank quickly and off you go. On the face of it, hydrogen as a vehicle fuel would seem to be a no-brainer. Unfortunately, it does have a number of characteristics that work against it from this point of view, and let's take a look at them now. Number one, yes, hydrogen is abundant, but hydrogen in water is combined with oxygen and needs to be released through a chemical reaction in a process called electrolysis. This is quite an energy-intensive process and is not very efficient. Therefore, at the moment, most hydrogen is produced from fossil fuels using a process called natural gas steam reforming because it's quicker and easier. This is the so-called brown hydrogen, and this means continuing drilling and burning. That's not good, and we need to get away from that. Two, the refueling process we mentioned earlier is indeed quick, but it does also need hydrogen to be stored in highly pressurised containers at hydrogen filling stations. These tanks have been known to rupture and explode, Norway, for example, recently stopped selling hydrogen as a result of an explosion, and Toyota stopped producing its Marais hydrogen fuel cell vehicle as a result. Thirdly, the vehicles also need pressurised tanks on board to hold the hydrogen. At the moment, touch wood, there have been no known examples of hydrogen vehicles exploding. But it doesn't remove the fact that each car is actually a high-pressure hydrogen bomb on wheels. Fourthly, Quick refueling at a hydrogen pump is only applicable under ideal conditions. If you're in a queue at a pump and you're the third or fourth to use it, you may have to wait for up to 20 minutes as the pump repressurizes. Only then can you fill your vehicle. The issues highlighted above are inherent in hydrogen as a fuel. It doesn't matter how it gets made, it's still explosive, it will still need pressurized storage at refueling stations, and it will also need pressurized storage on board a vehicle. But petrol is also a fossil-fueled, highly explosive liquid that needs to be carried around in a tank. And that doesn't seem to be a major issue, right? If you saw the recent footage of the petrol station in Russia that exploded, you'll know accidents like that can happen. So is hydrogen that much different? 
Well, yes. For a start, the pressurisation issue exacerbates the danger by a major factor. Not only is hydrogen explosive, it's also under pressure and explosive. When there's an incident, the expected damage will be much worse. Also, pure hydrogen, like pure oxygen, is very corrosive and it's always looking for weak areas in its container to wear away and escape. In fact, there's a phenomenon known as hydrogen embrittlement that details what happens when hydrogen comes into contact with certain metals and weakens them. So let's draw a line under that and look at those parts of the hydrogen life cycle that are problematic now, but won't be as we move forward. Hydrogen stations. If you check ZapMap for hydrogen stations in the UK, there are currently 14 showing. Of these, five are within the M25 zone, and of these five, three are out of order. Outside the M25, two of the remaining ones are also not working, and between Sheffield and Aberdeen, there is just one, and that's in Edinburgh. So the infrastructure to support hydrogen in the UK is severely lacking. But if you go back 10 years to the start of the electric car rollout, the charging network was in a similar state. In fact, over the last year, the number of hydrogen refuelling stations in the UK has increased from about 8 to 14. Of course, it has a long way to go, but so did EV charging, and look at it now. The other side of the hydrogen setup is the supply of the actual product itself. California's Toyota Mirai user forums are full of complaints from owners who were unable to refill due to supply issues recently. Remember, hydrogen at the moment is generally made at refineries and trucked to individual stations just like fossil fuels, and there simply wasn't enough hydrogen being produced to keep the pumps open. When a delivery did arrive, there were long queues as drivers waited for the pumps to repressurize after every third or fourth use. But compare that with the number of single EV chargers in certain locations around the country. In theory, there should be plenty of power to put two, three or more charges in at many places, and Instavolt tend to do this quite, uh, quite frequently around the place. But many networks just add one charger due to, quote, supply issues with the grid. The network will eventually upgrade and more charges can be added, and the same will occur for hydrogen, and the supply issue will be a thing of the past. Presumably, the pressurisation issue will also be solved, giving minimal refill times eventually. The other complaint levelled at hydrogen is that it's very energy intensive and inefficient to produce and use. Now I'm sure you've all seen the diagram showing the various stages hydrogen goes through from production to use in a vehicle and how each stage suffers from energy wastage. This is then compared to an EV which loses substantially less as it's pretty much source to wheel. It's a no-brainer, the EV is far more efficient. And the response that hydrogen supporters have to that is quite valid. If you're using cheap renewable energy overnight, then it makes no difference how much we use. And that's a valid statement as long as there's lots of energy around. I mean, at the time of recording, the heat in California is breaking records and stretching the electrical grid to its capacity, and they are uh, having rolling blackouts across the state. And with climate change, this will become a regular occurrence. With so little excess electricity, do we really want hydrogen production sapping all that power? The last argument against hydrogen is, you take electricity to make hydrogen inefficiently, then burn it to produce electricity which you store in a battery that's then used to turn the wheels of a vehicle. Why not just cut out the middleman and use electricity to charge a battery directly? Again, 
a perfectly valid argument against powering vehicles by hydrogen, but it does bring up a useful point for how hydrogen can be used. Balancing the grid. If you can take electricity produced at cheaper times, such as in the middle of the night, and store it as hydrogen, you can then turn that hydrogen back into electricity at peak times and minimise the peak baseload where dirty fuels such as gas and coal are generally used. The key factor here is whether hydrogen storage is cheaper than battery storage. At the moment, it isn't, but it does have the advantage of being quicker to scale up, build a bigger hydrogen storage tank, than battery storage, build a bigger battery with all the associated lithium and cobalt requirements. I think the jury's still out and time will tell on this one. So why, if hydrogen has so many inherent problems compared with battery tech, is there a groundswell of people and institutions that are pushing hydrogen as a fuel of the future? Well, let's take a look at a couple of the key players and see if we can spot, you know, a common thread. The main one is the Hydrogen Council. This is a global body dedicated to pushing hydrogen as a fuel of the future. The chairman works for Air Products, which is a leading producer of fossil fuel-based hydrogen, and it includes BP, Cogas, Shell, Sinopec, Total, Ineos, EDF, CHN Energy, and Aramco as founding members. These are all fossil fuel or fossil fuel adjacent companies. So let's look at Hydrogen Europe EU, and this is a European-based organisation promoting hydrogen, and it has literally dozens of members. And a cursory glance shows that these members include Air Products, BP, Shell, Capital Energy, Hellenic Petroleum, Corinth Refineries, Total, and Vatgas Sverige. Again, fossil fuel companies. So ask yourself why fossil fuel companies are so interested in a product that will make their core petrol or diesel business almost obsolete. Of course, naysayers will point to BP's purchase of Chargemaster as an example of where this is happening in the EV market. But as Theo Priestley said in our Futurist episode... Um, and I think someone did a calculation as well um, when the whole sort of um, Greta Thunberg and there was a lot of interest there in what she was doing um, and Greenpeace and everything else. Um, we're coming out with figures which were almost like, you know, well, yeah, you've stated that you're moving towards wind and alternate energy, but your investment in there is is almost like 5% of your revenue versus 95% that goes into oil. Hmm. Um, so... Although, you know, from a, a living world perspective and pragmatic and societal, you know, we're going to see big oil around for decades to come. The fact is, is that their transition is extremely slow. Plus, you don't see other fossil fuel companies such as Total and Aramco investing in EV tech, do you? And this has to be a big warning sign. Even friend, in inverted commas, of the podcast Dick Winchester, an Aberdeen-based energy tech consultant who loves fuel cell vehicles, tends to highlight the only perceived area in which hydrogen, quote, beats electric vehicles, and that's refueling times. But as we've already established, this is currently only under ideal conditions. If you're number three or four in the queue, you've got a wait ahead of you. But Gary, you say, Nikola Trucks has thousands of pre-orders for its hydrogen power trucks. Surely hydrogen is the way forward for road haulage. Possibly, yes. But Nikola Trucks has pre-orders in the same way that Tesla has Cybertruck pre-orders. At the moment, it's all vaporware. Neither a Cybertruck nor a Nikola Truck has yet been commercially manufactured, although Tesla do have one or two working Cybertruck prototypes. Nikola don't even have that. 
Historically, Tesla have announced new models and then delivered, albeit on an extended timeline. So far, Nikola have done the former, announced, but not the latter, delivered. This may change, but it does appear that the internet has little faith in the Nikola business model at the moment. In fact, in a recent event, Nikola showed a prototype, but it wasn't even powered by hydrogen. It had a big battery in there for safety purposes instead of a fuel cell. So what does that tell you? Ignoring Nikola Trucks as a company, does long-distance road haulage seem to be a suitable business for hydrogen? At first glance, yes, trucks are well equipped to have a large pressurised tank of hydrogen that can take them long distances. But friend of the podcast, Oak Hoekstra, has researched this and he thinks batteries can do this too. I'll post a link to his Twitter thread where he explains it all. He's basically saying that a one megawatt hour battery will provide trucks with all the range they need for a typical day's journey. And that's more than enough for running a truck with no recharging stops during the day and completely recharging overnight. However, in reality, a smaller battery would work in the EU as laws governing driver brakes call for a break every four and a half hours, or about 270 miles. 45 minutes on a high power charger will more than cover that range. So, to summarise, hydrogen may have many, many uses at the moment across the world. These uses should continue to happen. We'll always need hydrogen to make ammonia, for example. There might also be a case for using non-pressurised hydrogen as long-term energy storage in places in the far north where colder weather can be an issue. But as a method of powering vehicles, hydrogen has too many downsides to be a serious competitor over batteries. Companies have been developing hydrogen vehicles for as long as they've been developing electric vehicles. So far, there are only a handful of models on the market and in very small numbers. Hydrogen storage tech has not advanced at the same rate as battery storage tech, and hydrogen production is still primarily brown hydrogen from fossil fuels. The weight of evidence indicates that batteries have won this race. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with you listeners. Tritium, the electric vehicle charger manufacturer, have announced a brand new charger. If you've ever used one of the first edition Instavolt chargers, the ones that are quite thin and have the scrolling LED text on the display, you'll be familiar with tritium chargers. Now they've announced the next version of that charger, which will charge at up to 175 kilowatts where the vehicle permits it. Not only that, but they've switched on and implemented plug and charge functionality. This means if your vehicle supports the ISO 15118 plug and charge protocol, all you need to do is connect the charger and it will start automatically. No RFID cards, contactless cards or apps, just plug and charge, pretty much as it says. This charger is initially for the US market, but I can see it making its way over here. From the looks of the picture, it supports both CCS and CHAdeMO, and with 175 kilowatts, it should do 80% capacity on smaller batteries in about 15 minutes if the car supports high-speed charging. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, please use EV Musings Twitter account at MusingsEV. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. At the moment it's free on Kindle Unlimited or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. 
Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, he likes to play celebrity stock trading. You pick out a celebrity and buy shares in them which can be traded according to how popular or newsworthy they are. He recently got burned trading on Elon Musk. I wondered why. Someone did a calculation as well um, when the whole sort of um, Greta Thunberg and there was a lot of interest there in what she was doing um, and Greenpeace and everything else. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. 